0: up in a bath
1: of ice i'm a victim of an unorganized you know it is true you know this time you're never gonna get it
2: but you already stole my heart
1: yeah
0: you ripped it and tore it apart you know
3: it is true you know welcome to cutthroat queen's podcast where everyone perfumes themselves with stink bug spray We are here to take an open and honest look at all things indie horror. My name is Brett Mitchell-Kent, and I'm joined by the wrinkled newspaper in the men's porta potty Chelsea Pumpkins, and the muskrat living in her uterus, Elton Skelter. It's-a me! Yay!
1: I'm here. I've decided to join you on on recording for one episode.
4: And it only took a lot of bullying to get him here. It
1: took so much. Literally, these guys are so passive-aggressive, it's horrible.
4: We just read a book that took place in the early aughts. M S N
1: Messenger abounds.
3: <laughs> I don't know why, but I didn't. I didn't like feel that. I guess when I was reading, I mean, obviously it was because the M S N Messenger, like yeah. all of that portion, was. But I think because it was, it was also kind of current.
4: Oh, I totally felt okay. First of all, we're talking about *Crybaby Bridge*, yes. which is C.B. Jones's upcoming novella. It's currently open for pre-order. Um, you can find the pre-order link on his Twitter, which is at Writer S Jones, and we will retweet and link and all that. But anyway, since we didn't introduce the book, that's
1: what we're yeah. talking about. Good, when does it come out? um am sure it will come out on the day that this goes live.
4: Second, oh, shit, real right? soon.
3: Yeah, December 2nd,
4: yeah.
1: Saturday. Ah, go CB. So, yeah, I thought CB. It... we love CB. CB has been on the podcast before for the very first full-length episode, the 90s anthology episode, right? Yes. Yes.
4: yes. I was going to say, I did feel like I I felt ingrained in the 2003 timeframe, um, and I noticed it because the last thing I read from him was his 90s story, and I was like, oh, it's really cool that oh, he, like, got God. to, like, kind of into the next decade with a completely different story but i don't know it was it did stick out to me
3: it was neat so i i actually think that it's kind of fun that you know this is one of the last episodes because didn't i think that his book rules of the road was one that i mentioned in the first episode wasn't it of one of the things that i loved that i read last year it might have been and then i would have
4: to consult the show notes by yeah. the way, everybody, there's show notes in case you didn't know. Those are, Jesse works really out. hard to
3: get them done late,
1: so you should
3: read them. <laughs>
4: so, on no one reads after. somebody
3: check our show notes and let me know. But that might have been, and then I also did include him in the self published article that I did for the lineup. So that his book, not this one, but his rules of the road book was included in that so
4: basically we're super fans and he's in Howls from the wreckage but i don't think we spent much time talking about his story on that episode it was very yeah. good it was very very good
1: and we are kind of on a, a self-publishing binge at the moment so we're, we're really like looking into what Um, We can read self-publishing-wise, and CB
3: is a favorite of ours from the self-publishing world. Correct, and that is actually what this episode is about. We were able to sit down with two pretty successful self-published authors, um, Noelle Ailey and... You can't say uh, it like that. Do it again. ...Etherin Silva.
4: Yes, you can. You can.
3: Yes, you, you sounded like you were trying to do Jamaican. Because I've been silly. saying it wrong this entire time. She told me uh, when we met, like, talked, she's like, yeah, it's actually not Ely, which was what I've been saying the whole time. She which had... you would
4: know, Ellen, if you listen to the podcast.
3: Well, I haven't done it yet because I haven't got time.
1: I've been writing a book. Remember writing, Chelsea? No. <laughs> Can you tell me what that's like? In front of a
3: computer. <laughs> She'll you, do it eventually, okay? Um, so I, I can either read or write Chelsea, pick one. You gotta do both. Some of us do both. Yeah. But sorry, circling back, we all three read Crybaby Bridge by CB Jones, and we want to discuss it with or for you. I mean, you can talk back to us if you'd like, but we're probably not gonna respond. Um In this format. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to talk about it on Twitter or something. reply. Let's just cut that part. Twit talk. (laughs) It didn't land.
4: It (laughs) didn't land. It wasn't great.
3: (laughs) You can try talking to us, but we're not going to talk to you.
4: Brett, what did you think of the book? We're starting
3: with me. Okay. So I think that if I was giving it a star rating, I would give it five out of five stars. I think that for what was presented to us, it was done very well. I liked the characters. The characters were very well done. Um and they were I think well realized for the way that it was presented. You know, it was very easy to know them and what they did and how they reacted was very believable. I've never read a book that had um I don't know if this is a spoiler or not, but the the killer <laughs> type in this book was a new one for me. I've never mm. seen um this in a book. Sexy baby. Sexy baby, <laughs> yeah, Sexy baby. A, yeah. So the, that was a neat one, and it was also kind of grotesque, uh, but I think that my only, I think that when I say it, it's going to sound like a criticism, but I don't know that it's is a criticism in my eyes, is that I think that using the format that he did use, which was more like an interview style, I think it made it shorter than it could have been, and I would have liked to be able to spend more time in this story because I was very into it. So I think if he had gone with a traditional format, we could have spent more time in the world and been a little bit more involved.
1: Bear in mind that Brett is a whore for a slasher, so he wants to spend all of his time in slasher stories that none of them are long enough for him.
3: I do. So this is the same thing that I have as a criticism for one of Elton's books too, is that I've been bitching at him to... And expand it for me so I can read what he just told me happened everyone
1: I, is just writing for Brett and his proclivities so, <laughs> in an
3: ideal world yeah so uh that it it sounds like a criticism but I'm not criticism criticism and criticizing it's just that I, I really would have <laughs> liked to be in there a lot longer now what did you think Chelsea for calling me out
4: um I will disagree with you Respectfully, um, I loved the format, I, but I, I think it kept the pacing really quick, which was a benefit to this story. Um, and I thought CB did a really good job of balancing all of like the major slasher plot points with mm-hmm. without spending too much time. Like, I don't think it was like no part of it was overwritten or boring or overstated. It's welcome in my opinion, but. You probably read a lot more slashers than me, though. So grain of salt. Um, it had, like, a really engaging kind of, what's the word? Like, I don't know, beginning. Um, <laughs> like-
3: <laughs> that was the word that you
4: couldn't grab. No, so I was looking for the different one, and I just, I compromised. I settled. Um, I thought the introduction was cool. It introduced the format really well. I was, like, sucked in instantly, wanting to know about this mystery, Um, the framing of the story is our narrator um, is a writer and has a a bit of like writer's block for lack of a better frame. And he knows his wife underwent some sort of accident as a teenager, but she never talks about it. And she finally says, Hey, I have an idea for your book. Go write about my accident, but I'm not going to tell you the story. Go learn about it from people in my town. So he like goes back and he interviews all these people who were alive at the time. And he mixes in, um, like MSN messenger um, chat transcripts with like um, brochures and newspapers yes. and like coroner's reports but and then also just like interviewing chatting and stuff so I don't know that works really well for me I love like a epistolary or like pistoleri. mixed media yeah. type of so, story
3: yes I agree with that portion I do love that format of a mm. book but yeah, I, I would rather have read okay. the entire story as it was, and then also this. <laughs> so,
4: I thought his once, like, every so often, too, he would put in these little, like, um, kind of humorous interludes that they, like, made me laugh out loud. Like, when they were like, oh, yeah, that's that girl in high school was such a bitch. <laughs> like, oh,
3: yeah.
1: she's like,
4: of course he said that. <laughs> yeah,
1: you yeah, know, I love, I loved how interactive it was. It's was like the interview; they were all obviously conducted separately, but then they kind of referenced each other within it to keep the flow of the story. It was really clever.
4: Yeah, and like Brett hates when I say this, but I could picture it as a movie. Like it reminded yes. me a lot of of anybody who watched like the adaptation of Daisy Jones in the Six. Um, or just any sort of like almost like a VH1 mockumentary.
1: Like I, I kind of had like early supernatural oh, okay. vibes from it, like season one supernatural.
2: Ooh.
1: It was kind of uh it kind of gave me that sort of uh that that feel, that kind of that kind of vibe it was like the right kind of time, and um those kind of urban legends that mm-hmm. it's dealing with were very sort of prominent in sort of early supernatural before they ran out of ideas and kept killing everyone.
3: I do think that he did a very good job at being immersive with it, which, for how short it was, it he he really did because it, I didn't yeah. even realize how much I felt immersed in it until I was like I I live in kind of a small town, it's not like tiny but small enough it's rural, and I was driving downtown and then I'm like oh because. I was thinking about the cruising that they talk about, which is actually something that, that happens downtown in my town. It was neat. Oh, it's still? That, yeah, teenagers don't do it. though. old people do. Oh,
4: that's and funny. It,
3: yeah, they they cruise, and it's obnoxious. It slows everything down. But the I thought about it again, and I'm like, wow, it did. He really did do a good job of bringing us into that portion. I could picture it, yeah. all of it, where they went. Um, One question yeah. I have for both of you is... I had a concern when I started because interview format and we're interviewing supposed like implied survivors, right? So one of the questions is going to be, is there gonna be enough at stake if we know who survives? And I actually was very pleasantly surprised because in in my opinion, I'm asking, I'm answering my own question. Sorry, that <laughs> I, I feel you? though I was worried I <laughs> because while we know who that there's certain people that did survive, we don't know who that we're not interviewing died. So mm-hmm. there were still characters that we had to worry for. But also he snuck this little mystery in. And I, I wonder if it was even intentional. Chelsea... Pinpointed it, but it was probably the most intriguing part of the whole thing for me was which one of these people, if any, are his wife because right. they never name her. I actually went back to the beginning when I was yeah. reading it to be like, wait, which one well, of these people is his wife? And it was a huge mystery. You didn't find out until the end. And I guess yeah, that
1: was cool. wrong.
3: <laughs> I was just
1: guessing wrong the whole way through because I just had sort of an image in my head of of sort of the person he was talking about in the in the opening when he wrote the the introduction or the preface, and um yeah i guess wrong and uh, it just it's a, it's a testament to sort of the writing style of the way the story was built and and how he gave you just enough to keep it moving in in short snappy segments without giving too much away to how it would end but also to keep you invested in it the whole way through it was really cleverly done
4: yeah and i and he just he does a good job of like inserting new characters at different beats but like not in a confusing or overwhelming way yeah. um so i kept being like oh well maybe this character is his wife and then and then you'd meet a new person I'm like oh that could be his wife and then
3: another person <laughs> yeah it's like
4: <laughs> another person might die and i'm like okay well i guess she's off the list now like things like that so that was that was a really fun mystery and brett i love that you brought up the like immersive small town feel because that was something that came through um both like in the meta story but also in DB's actual acknowledgments that it was like a bit of an homage to small town living. And especially in horror, like small towns catch a lot of flack, um, either for being like too insular or like maybe bigoted or um, just having this, like, I don't know if it's rural, maybe they like make them a little bit too hickish and like quote unquote stupid or whatever. Um, So, but he like, made this place sound sound like still an, a great place while also putting a tragedy there and i don't know i thought he did a really good job that's cool
1: And you know it had it had inclusive beats in it as well there was some uh oh, yeah. some queer representation implied mm-hmm. and um and also the sexy baby was
3: just it was hot so
1: <laughs> i love a sexy baby with a big blade Not oh so. my
3: god something else that i loved was the fact that he was purposefully inconsistent in Mm -hmm. his interviews where the one person would call them Kylie and Briley and then the other person would be like, yeah, they were actually like giving them separate (laughs) names. Who, what were their actual names? It doesn't matter because they're not key to the story and who honestly remembers everybody that you encounter in high school. Yeah.
1: And yeah, 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 That was the, the authenticity as well of them having interview statements one after the other to keep it in the timeline, but seeing things very differently how Skye was seeing her relationship with Stephen and how Stephen was seeing his relationship with Nick um, were very, very different, but you could see how they'd be confusing at the time. And it was really, really, it was cleverly painted.
4: I thought so too. And I think like the authenticity of kind of like the malleability of memory, um, and it was a long time ago. So like you said, like, why would you remember these randos while you were cruising? Um, Also fit super well with the urban legend yeah. aspect of it, so like, and he's like, yeah, you know, something, something so bad happens, and so much time goes by, like everybody has started their own like rumors and details and like legendary stuff into it. Yeah, um, so that was well done too. It, kind it was of a really like, great. Kind take. of had
1: like a YA into adult feel because it was kind of yeah. represented from both age groups, which was really really cleverly done. And and uh, urban legends are a huge part of anyone's like horror, like diet growing up, and it was just it was really nice to see that kind of. uh that feeling that I had when I was a young teen, getting into horror and reading about these urban legends and stuff to have that represented, but seen through the eyes of somebody looking back on it. So it it kind of embraced the audience in multiple levels.
4: And you don't always get like the origin of an urban legend, like so many times, like when you encounter one as a kid, like really it's already been passed down, but now you're going back to like the scene of the crime. And And early 2000s was like a
1: huge resurgence for urban legends in horror anyway. Um, mm-hmm. We had the film Urban Legend, I Know What You Did Last Summer, was very urban legend Um it, They all kind of like swallowed up this, this whole, I mean, even things down to like disturbing behavior. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there were lots of sort of recalls back to it in the in the early 2000s, which painted it in this perfect setting to kind of really bring you back to the, like the history of... of the horror movies that we grew up on. So
4: I think there was like this one part when I was reading it where one of the characters is like yeah you always like search for meaning and something like this and I like literally like my heart dropped I was like no because it just like I had this moment where I was like it is perfect the way it is like I, he doesn't need to insert like a message at this point um and then the character goes on to be like but I don't think there is one to this and I was like yeah (laughs) looks tricked me (laughs) in the perfect way so thanks Stevie (laughs) but he did actually he fit in some like pretty good commentary the whole idea of like teens for the slaughter was like I thought pretty moving actually so that was kind of a cool way to wrap it up um one other cool thing is when he announced his cover I was like this looks so much like house from the wreckage like in a cool way like i was like oh this like really is reminiscent of that cover that i really liked and he's like oh it was schism who we also had on earlier in the podcast for collage macabre so another really cool crossover and, and we, lo- we love a good cover
1: schism did the cover for disappearance of tom nero by um That's right by tj price as well so we all brought it back full circle at the end of the year we were having these recalls
4: tied it all together
1: yeah so what 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 else has anyone anyone been thinking and reading and doing about lately Lena? oh
4: well um you know it's the holiday season which means i'm spending money more than i should but <laughs> one thing one i spent privilege. money on that i don't regret is um i backed the kickstarter for haven spec magazine um they put out speculative fiction obviously um, like monthly issues I believe we have a ton of writers in our circle who have been published through them we have a bunch of writer friends who have been published through them um, TJ Price who was on earlier this year is an associate editor there but they are trying to move from paying token rate to writers to, to paying them pro pay um, so they have a ton of tiers of rewards and stuff so I think I signed up to get like a year's worth subscription or whatever um, but they have like perks like you can get edited by famous people or Tuckerized or I don't know they have all an enormous list um and Leon Parnasio is the editor he's a real good guy they do I think every other month they limit their windows of publishing or limit their windows of submitting to BIPOC and LGBTQ plus people only so they're also like out there doing doing the good work so if you have it in your heart definitely go check out their Kickstarter. It's ending soon. So um, we would love to get them over the finish line.
3: Sounds fantastic. Um, So I read a lot of self published books. I can't talk about all of them. As I already mentioned, if you wanted to check out some of them, there was that article that I mentioned earlier, that has some, but one that wasn't in the article that I actually read recently. It's very small. So Chelsea, you'll love it. Oh my god! Yeah. Um, it's it's called The Poisoner's Last Ride by Kenzie Jennings, and this one, um, it's it's short, so it's kind of hard to tell the full story without it spoiling it. But it's basically about um uh, this poisoner who's also like a, an auditor, so it's like a legalized poisoning, um, in a like a post-apocalyptic Mad Max kind of world. Um, and and she's on the run and you know, that <laughs> I can't give any more, but it's, it's very neat. It's, it's called the post-apocalyptic love story. So it, it feels to me kind of more like a love story to the post-apocalyptic genre.
4: Ooh, I love
3: that. And uh, so I would definitely recommend checking it out. I honestly, I didn't even know what it was about when I bought it. I bought it because it had a cute cover. And so I was like, man, it's, it's it's small why not so i i did get it it's just a novella so the poisoner's last ride by kenzie jennings
4: cool thank you that sounds up my alley as well you know i'll put it on the tbr um elton
2: yeah do
4: you have anything to say
1: yeah um no no i don't okay i'm um <clears throat> i'm a sleepy bunny i've been working on my own stuff i haven't had a chance to do a lot of reading outside of reading slash for lethe press um and um I I see everyone releasing books particularly self-published authors releasing books I've done self-publishing myself and I'm in awe of people who can manage to do everything themselves in this way I think it's such a talent and I think you should all be like highly commended for the amount of work that goes into it fuck Judy Picoult um (laughs) and yeah that, that, that's just that's all i have to say on that we will be back after this short break but we will be joined by self-published authors noelle eiley and catherine silver back in a minute
0: waking up in
1: a bath of ice i'm a victim of an organ you know it is true you know this time you're never gonna get it
3: And we're back. We're joined by Noel and Kat. Noel W. Eiley is a thriller suspense author. She lives in Idaho with her husband, two sons, and two cats. When she's not plotting her next thriller, she's scaring herself with true crime documentaries or going for a trail ride in the foothills with her trusty pepper spray. That's important.
4: Definitely important. (laughs) And we are also joined by Kat Silva. Kat is a Maine horror author, a connoisseur of coffee, and a victim of cat shenanigans. Kat, I think we might be um, separated at birth, actually. Um, Yeah, I think so, too. (laughs) She's a two-time Maine Literary Award finalist for speculative fiction and a member of the Horror Writers of Maine, the Horror Writers Association, and New England Horror Writers Association. Catherine is also editor-in-chief of Strange Wilds Press and Dark Taiga Creative Writing Consultants. A sequel to The Wild Dark entitled The Wild Fall is now available, and her latest novella, Lost Oblivion, came out in October 2023.
0: Welcome, both of you. Thank you. So happy to be
4: here. Thanks for having us. So we all have cats on this podcast today. Yes.
3: (laughs) I feel like every author should have a cat. I mean, it's... Yes. It's in the description you need them
4: yeah Absolutely. i think it's contractual it's part okay. of the starter kit
3: we are here um it's it's kind of multifaceted we are doing this little panel because the the fun unique thing about both of you is that you are i in my definition successful self-published authors uh later we'll get into the definition of what you see as you know success in your own work but that is kind of the the theme here is to learn from the experts on what makes self-publishing the right choice and what ways you can do, like things you can do to be successful with it.
4: Yeah. So I guess we can start by asking both of you, I'll start with Kat. Why did you decide to self-publish over any other options?
2: Uh, so when I first was thinking about publishing a book it was back in 2010 which is kind of when self-publishing was still new and uh very not the same as it is now uh definitely in an infant stage um it was it was a an interesting idea for a lot of people you know to have their own ideas not be changed by editors to be able to make a hundred percent royalties on all their books um to just basically put themselves out there and do all the work and that was kind of my my thought originally i was like yeah i like the idea of this book i wrote i don't want anyone to change it i want to be able to just say that i did this myself and and um start there and of course, I had no idea what I was doing back then either. So, I ended up going through this this business that helps you self-publish your books. It was a local business. Um, they help you, you know, get everything up on Amazon. They format everything. They do covers for you, and then it's a cooperative too. So you are put together with other self-published authors, and pretty early on, you know, I I was like, yeah, this is great. I get to go to all these events. Maine has a lot of writers. Pretty much you throw a rock and you hit a writer here in mm-hmm. Maine. <laughs> um, so, cool. so being a part of a community was really important. And then soon after I kind of realized that in order to progress in a self publishing career, I had to be able to learn how to do all of these different things and um, sort of take on the multifaceted role of, you know, doing your own covers, doing your own layout, doing all this stuff. And so I did. And the next book got, uh, was a finalist for a main Literary Award. And that was what kind of like got me going at that point. It was like, all right, this is addictive. I can, I can do this. And then for the next 13 years, that's what I've done. Um, and you learn as you go, certainly. So it's it's only gotten better and better and better as the years have gone on. It's awesome.
3: That's great. Congratulations on your award. Did I say that yeah, weird, thank you. That word weird? Congratulations <laughs> My on your award. <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: so just, it's six o'clock when we're filming this. So I'm we're just already...
4: Like, w- a, yeah. Oh, so late yeah so. Brett is like this is like a midnight to him it's insane
3: <laughs> so that that's really neat I know that Noel you you had a, a slightly different story you you came from publishing in a couple of respects right and then went into being an author with the self-publishing how did you make that decision
0: Yeah. And actually that kept me from deciding to self-publish for a long time. I love Kat's answer. You were so intentional about this. I kind of backed into it, uh, sideways. (laughs) I (laughs) I came from a background in publishing. I was an editor with a small press and I, you know, thought if I ever publish a book, I'll do it the traditional way, which was always like the quote unquote right way in my mind. Um, But I queried my first novel for a while and got kind of discouraged, got tired of getting requests for a full or partial manuscript and then not hearing back for months. So I, and then, you know, hearing ultimately it's not quite a fit for our list. So I finally just said, fuck it, and I'm going to put it out there. Um, So it was not very intentional. And there's a lot of mistakes that I made because of that. I've honed my process and- Now I do it intentionally, and I'm so glad that I did back into it Um, because at this point, I feel like I am the best advocate for my books. Um, I put in the work to learn my market. I have been able to surround myself with really smart people who can give me honest feedback and help me create some of the assets that I need that I don't want to do myself. Like I outsource my covers. I don't do my own covers. Um, I hire editors who can give me some of the feedback I don't want to hear. Um, But uh, yeah, so I did not do this intentionally, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so glad this is where I ended up. I think with both of your
4: answers, there's like, I don't know, there's definitely a stigma out there about self-publishing, which is why we were really excited (laughs) to have this conversation on our podcast. Um, And I feel like some people think it's like the easy way out, Mm-hmm. or something but it's like you talk you, even just hearing from both of you and you know being close to my own experience and, and other um writer friends like you are like a massive project manager on top of being the artist and it's so much work um and just hearing you to talk about all the skills involved is like very inspiring and motivating I think
3: since you mentioned that that you know it has been said that it's the easy way out not going to say anything uh, <laughs> what other misconceptions do you think surround self-publishing that you're, you want to stamp out? well, uh, if you wanted to.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, that's the biggest one out there, I think, um, is that, I, it's the easy way out. And in one respect, it is like anybody can do it. Um, But it's easy in the same way that drawing like a picture or making an art print is easy. (laughs) Like Anybody can do it. But can you do it well enough that somebody wants to bring it into their house and spend time with it and cherish it? Um, Like the big five Presses won't let you put a stick figure out into the market for sale. And you can do that as a self-published author. You won't sell books that way, but you can. And that uh that kind of muddies the water, I think, from uh authors who want to do it more professionally and who have the resources now more than ever to do it professionally.
2: As well, as well as what Noelle was saying, um A lot of people assume that self-published books are lower in quality, um, that, you know, somebody was just eager to get it out there. So they did not do the necessary steps to make sure that it was a finished product before they put it on the market. And I think that as the years have gone on and as the industry has changed, self-publishing has certainly changed the definition of self-publishing is, has changed along with it. And a lot more people have kind of realized all the steps that are involved with self-publishing uh, and everybody goes about it a different way for the most part. You know, uh, there are a lot of people who have been very successful in self-publishing just with online marketing. There are people who do, you know, a billion shows a year and are successful with it that way. Um, and then there are still that, that small group of people who put it out there and assume that it's just going to fly off the shelves. And that is certainly where I started when I was was jumping in. I just kind of assumed like, yeah, I have this, this sweet idea. It's going to get made into a movie. Everybody's going to love it. And nobody bought it because uh-huh. I didn't put the work <laughs> in to make sure that people knew about it. And when you are in the industry for a long time, when you spend time with other people and learn from them, you, you get the skills to <laughs> be able to market yourself and market your book and do what you need to do uh, to get it out there. So I guess it it's in stages still, unfortunately. Like there are still a, people who jump into self-publishing And they are beginners, and they don't quite know what to do. And then you're more experienced self-publishers have got this down. They've been doing it for years; they know what to do. Mm -hmm.
4: In my experience, people have been really eager to help and help a lot of times for free, and like getting your feet under you if you're new. Is that has that been the case for either of you as well?
0: Yeah, I found people to be so kind and so generous and supportive in the reading and writing communities um i i re- still remember so Brett was one of the very first strangers who reached out and told me that they liked my uh, book and that meant yeah. so much to me it was this like wow like somebody i don't know that's <laughs> so cool it. and it was such a like it felt like such a kind um thing and you know since then bookstagrammers and tiktokers they you know for somebody to pick up a book and spend eight hours with it and then tell you how they liked it even if the feedback isn't all glowing that's just Mm -hmm. that kind of generosity just means the world and there are so many kind generous readers and writers
3: i I have been told since then that i'm not supposed to jump into people's direct messages without asking first (laughs) i i'm not great with the internet but yeah, I was it, it was the thicket. I remember when, when okay. I read that your prose has always just kind of spoken to me. You write kind of gruesome things in a very beautiful way. And so yeah, I I was compelled I had to tell you about it. So. Well I'm
0: glad you did. I loved it.
3: <laughs> so the uh cat, you mentioned that the marketing side of it was a portion that you had to learn. Uh what marketing tips for people that are maybe looking to self-publish or realistically, I guess anybody can use these because it's yeah. all about marketing, even mm. if you're going through a publisher.
2: Um, I think one of the biggest things that people need to do is uh, join a community, talk to other writers, definitely becoming part of a group is important. Um What's, what's really hard is like I was saying before, yeah, you throw a rock and you hit a writer in Maine. Well, not everybody is going to be on the same wavelength as you. Not everybody is going to fit in with the same aesthetic that, you, that you're writing. So one of the best things that could have happened to me pretty early on was joining the New England Horror Writers Group. And... That was like finding my people at the time. You know, Maine is fraught with a lot of uh, crime fiction and literary fiction and not a lot of horror, as weird as that might sound. So so finding a group that was very horror-centric, a group that does lots of events and being able to table with these people was very eye opening um seeing how they set up for shows seeing how they sold their stuff was definitely the start of my career
4: oh great and yeah. your table um so i got to hang with cat at the merrimack yeah. valley halloween book festival this year um I mean, I think if anybody walked up to your table, they would have thought you had a publisher, like it was so professionally looking and you presented yourself so well. Again, this is just, you know, a stigma that, you know, the self-publishers like won't give it 100, but um, clearly you have learned a lot about marketing because your your setup looked amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you. And that takes time. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I I think that that is something that, is indicative of of a self published author that will probably find success is mm. just this, that extra little bit of care, you know the
2: yeah.
3: the taking the time, like Noel mentioned, to get a cover made for yourself and getting it edited. Those are important bits that even though you're self publishing, another eye is always a good thing on mm-hmm. an because yeah. so that yeah you landed on that one what yeah, about before
4: you? oh I was gonna go, say go just because it's off of Kat's answer before we switch to Noel. um you mentioned like finding communities very mm-hmm. integral to your success and what would you say to people who might be like more introverted or may not know where to find a community do you have any advice for those types of people
2: well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of online communities too. If it's if it's not your thing to get together with people in person, there are certainly communities online where you can find um, other horror writers, and chapters of the Horror Writers Association are a really good place to start. Um, and then, you know, also just getting on Instagram, getting on TikTok getting on blue sky places where you can start to connect with people um i will also say that the graveyard that is twitter now um mm. back when it was a burgeoning community that is definitely where i found most of my people um as recent as 2020 2021 that is i i can't say enough good things about the people that i found there so it's important
0: yeah uh yeah piggybacking off what uh kat said i i love to hear how intentional and uh you know what's the right word buttoned up that uh display was and just the knowledge that goes into knowing what it takes to create a display like that at a convention or at a signing. Um, A big part of the reason that I've been able to learn the business side of publishing and marketing, uh, my own books has been the group 20 books to 50K. I think that is a absolutely phenomenal resource to someone who wants to dip their toes into the idea of self-publishing. It's primarily focused on the business side of self-publishing. So it talks about marketing, newsletters, Amazon ads, Facebook ads. And uh it was so eye-opening to me. I think I had in the back of my mind that uh really leaning into the marketing and like essentially the money making side of publishing a book was somehow cheapening my work and my craft. But that's what allows me to reach new readers and it allows me to do this full time. Um, whereas, you know, if I push my book out there timidly and hope that someone might read it with one eye closed that i won't find very many people but the ability to give myself visibility and advocate for my book the way a publisher would because there is no publisher that's advocating for it that mindset has really helped me kind of spread my wings so to speak into the world of marketing and not see it as a a Dirty task, (laughs) but something that uh that really just, you know, brings new readers to my door.
3: I really love that. The the I get criticized a lot for overconfidence. Um, and and it's just that I feel as though, like you kind of said, you have to advocate for yourself because if other people can't see that you have faith in yourself, why are they gonna have faith in you? So yeah, there's
4: a lot of like I feel like people are out there like the pure well i don't know this is a stupid waiter frame it, but people who are like very into the art side they're like well my art <laughs> speaks for itself like i shouldn't have to push it and i'm like well we live in an age where everybody's attention span is 2 seconds long and we have mm-hmm. a thousand options you open up your kindle you open up your netflix you open up spotify like it's so overwhelming like you need to convince yeah. them to pick up your stuff um so i love that what is that 20 bucks to 50 K. Is that like a website or a book or a group? What is that?
0: It's a group. Um, I just got back from their yearly conference in Vegas and it's a why week didn't long. we bring
4: you on like two months ago and I could have <laughs> come.
0: I know it's a, yeah, it's a week long like fire hydrant of a conference where, wow. I mean, I went to, I think 15 panels a day, just learning about, Everything to do with uh, with book publishing and marketing and craft, too. You know, honing in on the right covers for your market, honing in on your subgenres, you know, making sure that your ads are targeted towards readers who like your books. And it's uh, it's really phenomenal. So if you go to the Facebook group, you can join. And then there's just hours and days worth of free resources that wow, that's you awesome. can Check out in the files. And then it's also a really generous community of people sharing how they have found success in marketing in their niche. I will absolutely be
4: joining that group. Thank you.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I just did.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You're supposed to be focused. (laughs) Whoops. I do laugh at like how much marketing becomes like part of the self-publishing job. Like, um, sometimes my spouse will be like, what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm writing. And he's like, you're on Instagram. And I'm like, it's part of writing. <laughs> like, TikTok, yes. My content is part of this. <laughs> like it's unfortunately very true. <laughs> um, go ahead, Brett. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Did I talk? Oh, I thought I cut you off. Maybe yeah. I just, you know. <laughs> well, I guess I'll ask you another I question
3: then. Uh, so so cat, 13 years. Yes. Amazing time to focus into something. So this one is probably gonna be a big one for you, especially since you already mentioned that your first book, you just kind of like, ah, take it. And you're a lot more deliberate now. What do you think is the biggest lesson that you learned from that first book that you put out to the most recent one, which is The Wild Fall, correct?
2: Um, yeah, I I think that back in the day it was it was more about saying that i i did something versus wanting a story to just have legs and and go and be out there in the world and have people read it um because i felt the story was important and um yeah when i when i joined that cooperative i was kind of just under this idea that i wouldn't have to do as much and I didn't have a lot of time, you know, working, working full time and uh, all the other things that go along with that uh, make it hard to devote time to your own stuff. And at, at that time, I didn't know how much I needed to be involved. So I didn't really, really try. And when I got to the third book in that series and I put it out and I had probably no one buy it. I kind of had this realization that was like, ah, do I really want to be doing this anymore? What am I doing this for? And I spent some time really thinking about it and then came back with a whole new attitude about it. Um, rebranded, definitely changed my marketing scheme had a marketing scheme, I guess is a better way to put it. Um, Did more research, learned how to make better covers, um, you know, found better editors, just put more into it and kind of, to a point where I will say this, this last book, I may have, destroyed my mind a little bit with how much marketing I did (laughs) because you know it's it's several months later and I'm I'm still kind of burnt out uh where I was you know just it's it's hard to to try and do a lot of things and run a full business (laughs) yeah at the same time
4: and then be creative on top of that. To and be that, creative that on top alive. of that. <laughs> you know,
2: strategize your posts for social media every day on, you know, five or six different platforms, Uh, contact people to podcast with, to do shows with, to, uh, yeah, I just.
4: I yeah. also <laughs> um, mentioned, like, you did all of that coming back from, like, what could be like a devastating career ending blow for a lot of people like to put a book out and not sell any like a lot of people would be like screw that I'm done and like so for you to reframe and like really tap into what you were trying to achieve I think is really admirable
2: it took it took a few years I mean that that last one I had put out in 2015 and I didn't put anything out again until 2018 so I had to I had to really think about it and I had to really take some time with it before I knew that I was ready to jump back
3: in.
4: Do you want to um, same question to Noel, or should we change it up,
3: Brett? Same question. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I, I want to know all of it. This is
4: <laughs> this is so interesting. We'll keep me. you all for three hours.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, I mean because it's it's a shorter time frame because I I it's been a, a few years, maybe right? I don't know.
0: Yeah, I just. Put out the thicket in 2021. So it's been a pretty short time frame for me. Um, I'm still learning, I'm still finding my feet in some ways, but in other ways I feel more confident than ever that this is like the thing I want to keep doing forever. So I think the biggest lesson I've learned given that short time frame especially is how much is possible. I when I very first started, I had like a teeny tiny idea of what I might be able to do with putting out a book on my own. And if an agent had approached me then and be like, hey, we're going to scoop up the thicket, I would have lost my mind and been so excited. And at this point, I've turned down more than one offer of representation from agents from some very cool houses that I I appreciate, but I am in really enjoying doing this. I don't want to mess with a good thing. My books are reaching readers and I'm working full-time doing what I love. So I full steam ahead and I, I feel like it's kind of blown my mind in the best way. So just, uh, I would have looked back at old Noel and said, just think about it a little bit harder about what maybe.
3: <laughs> I mean, be it's powerful. very impressive. Four books in <laughs> like two and a half years and a collection. Uh, ugh, that's busy. No,
4: impressive. <laughs> Kat, busy. How, how many books have you self-published, Kat?
2: Uh, I... <laughs> it's weird it's gotta be a lot because i could it. some of them are short stories too so it's i i think it's we're at 10 um but only god i have to think about this five of them are novels three of them are novellas and then the last two are short stories
4: Well, hey, they all need a cover and they all need to be posted and they all need to be marketed. So no need to caveat. (laughs) Um, So it's interesting, like talking about sales and talking about, you know, like, what do you want? Likes on social media or like, do you want book talkers talking about it or reviews on Goodreads? Like, how do you define success for your own work? And we'll start with Noelle this time.
0: Okay, so... And I, you don't have to stay within that frame. You can- Such you know. a big, question. <laughs> it's a fabulous question. Um, I would say that piggybacking on what we've talked about with those negative stereotypes about self-publishing, I would say that when my readers are surprised to learn that I'm self-published because my work doesn't fit any of those negative stereotypes of self-published work, that would be one benchmark for me. Um, The other is when I hear a stranger tell me that they just- bullied their friends and family members into reading a book because they were so excited. Like uh, Brett's message to me was, it, it was just <laughs> such a great feeling to hear that somebody loved something that I wrote and engaged with the story, something that came out of my brain and spent some time in their brain. Um, so that's success for me. I, I mean, doing this full-time is a benchmark. Obviously that feels very big. I just let go of my last freelance client. I had been freelance writing for the last few years as i ramped this up and um that's where i've wanted to be since i got started with that first novel so um yeah all of those things
3: congratulations sorry i, I yes. wish we had like champagne <laughs> to pop or something but i
0: was
3: here, Come some water on. here.
0: here.
4: <laughs> yeah when you said that you just need people to bully their friends and family i was like sounds exactly like brett <laughs>
3: I <laughs> I'm a pusher and I will push the book until you read it. And not Chelsea, That's why you're, you're a great podcaster,
4: Brad. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm just a fangirl. I can't help it.
4: Kat, same to you. How do you define success for yourself?
2: Uh, I mean, very similar. Uh, it is, it's all about the, the feedback that you get from your readers and to have people say that they they felt something they they were changed by what they read is really kind of insane um a lot of what i write is defined as grief horror or existential horror so people who are dealing with grief who have read my stuff and then say you know this helped me deal with things that i've had a hard time dealing with that always just gets me because like i'm not i'm not necessarily writing it for that reason um but then someone says something like that and it's it's just it's kind of chilling i guess a little bit yeah um it's always it's always weird when you write something for you and then somebody else seems to get it i think almost a little too (laughs) too much like uh but but that's happened especially with this this series um the wild oblivion series has really like people have really gotten it uh people have really felt stuff with it and um and now i'm hooked and that's all i want to do is just (laughs) write that kind of thing to try and resonate with people so that's yeah. That's part of it, and then also the fact that if I can keep learning as I go, if I can keep challenging myself, if I can uh, do more for the community and give back, uh, that's I'll I'll feel fulfilled anyway.
4: You've got that magic sauce. That's awesome.
3: <laughs> I, I do, I know this is skipping ahead a little bit. We'll we'll circle back. Hey, it's our show, right? Uh, but you you mentioned oh, yes. that you you consider it like grief, right? Um, mm-hmm. one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because your writing is very raw, uh, but it also kind of focuses on strength. Do you consider mm-hmm. yours like tragedies or grief or is the goal more trying to show the power that it takes to overcome that
2: I think it's it's um depends on the story certainly but I think it started as the first thing and it's become the second thing so where this started out was just I had I had these feelings that I just needed to get out And writing them was the best way to to get it out and then it became how is this character going to overcome this grief uh and then the how is that grief going to (laughs) deepen later on and become a new monster for them to to beat Mm -hmm. so and the new one i'm working on too it's it's very similar it's like it's an ever-changing thing that haunts people. Um, that never really goes away, but you can find a way to to live with it or to you know find goodness in it. So yeah. it's a it's an exploration anyway.
3: Well, I was just gonna say if you like grief Horror, um JV JV Gox, I I'm gonna say it's has got gotcha i'm so bad with names she has a new one coming out uh that is epiphany Epiphany, and it's supposed to be uh the saddest thing just ever so i
2: have seen the cover everywhere (laughs) yeah she is
4: a fantastic writer i love her work as well um i was gonna say kat um i've have not finished yet the wild dark but that is i'm only in book one of your whole series but i really love how you tackle grief like you tackle loss from a lot of different angles um it's not always death. Um, sometimes it's the loss or dissolving of a relationship. Um, and then it's a layered too. So like, you know, new loss reminds people of old loss and, you know, there's different feelings you associate with the different losses. Um <laughs> but i don't know i just find it very real like no one is just no one is so one-dimensional that like a single event is ever going to happen to you and strike you in a singular way so um i'm finding it to be very relatable and very powerful so good job well thank you
3: cat tell us about your most recent publication which is the wild fall
4: uh
2: so there there were actually two this year um the wild fall was was the big one that's the sequel to the wild dark And it takes place 10 years in the future from when the last book ended. So it has a very dystopian feel to it versus the other one, which was kind of like the beginning of the apocalypse. And it's in a world where, uh, for those of you who don't know, a purgatory forest is taking over the world. Uh, Ghosts have kind of come back to haunt most of the people and our main character is haunted by the ghost of her dead partner she is an ex-cop and um is is trying to survive while dealing with his ghost and the memory of of what happened uh when he died so 10 years in the future, I don't want to spoil anything from book one, but it does show our character in a new situation with new people, uh, tackling new kinds of grief and dealing with new enemies and old enemies. And this one definitely has a more fantasy feel to it in more like surreal horror fantasy feel which i really enjoyed writing because it's it's just kind of taking it out of our world a more familiar world and putting it into uh more of a nightmarish place uh and a lot of people have asked if this if there's going to be a third book <laughs> Intentionally, I I was hoping this was going to be the last one, (laughs) but now that I am getting pressure, I don't know. Uh I might write, I might write another one in the future. Uh it's not on the docket for anything soon. Um and then the other book that came out in October is the sequel to Hallowed Oblivion, which was the prequel to the wild dark just to confuse everybody i bookmarked Um, the tweet
4: that you made that made the list of the order to read it yeah (laughs) yes there is like i'm saving this so i can read in the right order
2: there is a like it's always sunny in philadelphia like crazy murder board um that that shows suggested reading orders for all the books so um and this this was one that I felt I needed to write because I I had a lot of people who wanted more from Hallowed Oblivion. Like they loved the, the conciseness of the story, but they wanted more from the characters. Um, and I wasn't done writing them. Um, I did lose a very good friend this year. And so uh, who reminded me a lot of one of the characters in that book. And I wanted to do something in his memory so i did write that as kind of like a this is for you and also kind of as a saying goodbye to these characters for a time anyway uh so it was it was pretty emotional (laughs) um and uh i really hope that people find and read that one
4: yeah i'm really sorry to hear about your friend what a nice tribute though and hopefully it was helpful for you
2: to write that yeah yeah he was really awesome he was a writer also um he actually wrote non-fiction stuff for field and stream um so avid fly fisherman
4: just really cool guy and what's the title of the book that you're talking about
2: uh lost oblivion okay. is Thank the you. the latest
4: Oh, thank you for sharing that. It's like not easy to share either. So thank you.
2: It's and been a couple podcasts did, of yeah. sharing, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's getting easier.
4: I guess, do you want to spend a couple minutes talking about how you've created this universe that's in the Wild Oblivion series? Sure. Um.
2: So the the initial idea actually came from a couple places. There is this really great indie horror game called Limbo that came out way, way, way back in I think 2010 or or maybe a little later than that. But it's a very minimalistic side-scrolling game in black and white. And it's all about this little boy who's trying to make his way through these environments to get to his sister. And the minimalism and the idea that limbo is a giant forest has stuck with me and i really wanted to play with the idea of what happens to a person when you know this giant limbo forest starts taking over the world what happens with our concepts of what happens after death uh what if it's not as straightforward as we think it is um trying to turn it on its head this this very omnipresent idea of of heaven and hell and um i it got more and more complicated as i wrote the series it it's um almost become a little more cosmic horror now coming into the the later books and i really enjoyed that because i have never really i gonna say vibed with the idea of uh you know a strict judeo-christian idea Definitely. ideology yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so i i just like having fun with it nice
4: yep. and when i first started your book and it's funny you said that Maine has a ton of crime writers because I was like, oh, what a cool true crime story this is. And I think even <laughs> at the festival, I had only been like a couple chapters in, and I like told my friend Ryan, I was like, you're gonna love this. It's like it's like true crimey. It's really good. And then it totally took a a turn into the supernatural and the horror. And it's been a really fun ride. So it's funny that and now it's turning cosmic. Cause so that'll be really fun
2: yeah the uh i i've always liked watching cop shows too so it just made sense for me to to have our main character be a cop and honestly those the two main characters are inspired by two characters from the tv show fringe which used to be on which i still think is one of the best tv shows ever created um so their dynamic you know the 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 cop the detective dynamic uh really spoke to me
4: and you're you're among Um, friends true crime junkies here
3: (laughs) (laughs) so um noelle i i don't know which one you're gonna want to talk about but i because you had the two that popped up right at the same time i i did get to finish up twisted tales recently and it, it was just it was such a cute little thing um but which is the newest one that you wanted to discuss
0: Uh, probably room for rent. Um, Twisted Tales has been kind of a fun little side project that, uh, it's like your, the books that you read as a kid had a baby with the horror genre that's Mm -hmm. Twisted Tales and it's, it's illustrated. It's a a fun collection of stories. Um, but that's a little bit different subgenre than my typical, uh, So, (laughs) so my latest, uh, adult thriller um, is called Room for Rent. It's about um, a college senior um, at Boise State. Her name is Naya and she's in her final semester. She's had a, a pretty rough um, upbringing, grew up in a really high control fundamentalist group. She's kind of hanging on by a thread financially and she just rented the cheapest house she could find off campus. And it turns out her roommate is pretty awful. And so is the house and then things just get worse from there. So there's a few spoilers. I, I don't know how much more I can say without spoilers on that, but, uh, yeah, things get pretty bad. It's a, I've had a couple of people tell me they, they feel like it's like the show fear thy roommate had, um, (laughs) a novel birthed a novel um so yes it's it's gross and fun and uh it, yeah <laughs> i i'm trying not to spoil anything i keep trying to dance around some of the it's, reveals it um, is a, it's a
3: hard one not to spoil because yeah. you know it it, <laughs> it has a very small cast of characters so it but it is very intense a lot of your work it's very slow burn emotional and then it's like oh (laughs) then you know fucking nuts so what (laughs) I did that it is what it is I always think back to it
4: there's your blurb right there you don't even worry (laughs) there
0: there was a
3: scene in ask for Andrea which I think that that's one that one's well enough known now that we yeah is, is of four three three women that have already they they've been murdered and they're kind of following the man that murdered them. He was a serial killer. And I I think I even mentioned this that I was kind of concerned, how do you keep the the fear in that? Because they're already dead. <laughs> she didn't yeah. So it just it hit a scene in the woods where I like I had to put it down for a couple of minutes because I was <laughs> shook. But sorry, I'm not fangirling right now. I'm professional. So what <laughs> genres <laughs> do you think that your work falls into? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I mean, it definitely straddles a couple, but I think thriller suspense is what I usually come back to. I There's a lot of, uh, it, technically some of it is horror, but I have learned that it, my primary audience identifies as thriller readers and sometimes horror is a thought-stopping process for thriller readers. So not vice versa. A lot of self-proclaimed horror authors and readers like thrillers but a lot of thriller readers are a little nervous about horror it has such a it's almost like the self-publishing thing it's got all these uh stigmas that put it in yes. this really narrow little box so I could but like yell about that
4: and yes. yell and <laughs> excitedly about that topic for so long because like so many people are like oh I don't read horror and I'm like but you watch true crime but mm-hmm. you like thrillers <laughs> and the scariest thing I've ever read was non-fiction, non-fiction. so like tell me <laughs> make it make Tell me sense exactly where you <laughs> land
3: <laughs> but i mean you, you like what you like i i am yeah. one of the horror author writer re, the readers that also really love thriller but i have to take them in small doses because they stress me the fuck out they do <laughs> <I love them. laughs> it's, it's a lot for me so so uh, noel i guess i'll just <laughs> keep talking sorry chelsea <laughs> uh but okay. the similar to what I, I asked of cat yours. I think everything that I've read from you does fit this pretty well, where it, it typically has a, a main POV character, a uh, female always that has is like the epitome of just extreme strength. And it shows the resolve of human nature, but then also you focus a lot on the extreme brutality of human nature, and sometimes even from both points of view, you you'll be in the head of both the hero and the villain. How do you pull that out? How do you like? How do you get yourself into those conflicting headspaces?
0: Yeah, I love that question and that made me <laughs> that's making me think a little bit. I uh so almost everything scares me, I'll put it that way. So I write from a place of like extreme anxiety when I sit down to write a book or plot a new book. Um sometimes the world feels like a pretty awful place and I've learned that What helps me manage that anxiety is looking at some of the everyday people who come toe to toe with really horrifying situations and rise to the occasion. Um, So that's who I look to, to grapple with my own anxiety. And that tends to play out in my books that I will, it helps me to kind of be the the one at the wheel and throwing somebody into this horrible situation and then uh, kind of clawing you know, helping them claw their way out. Uh, I tend to discovery write a lot. So I often don't know how somebody's going to get out of a situation and I'll have to uh, sit with it for a while. There's a scene in run on red, which was uh, the book I released last year where the main characters are in like this awful crawl space. And I didn't know how they were going to get out. (laughs) So I just sat for a few days. Like I was really stressed out about it. It's like, we're still in oh. the,
4: close we're
0: still in the, close <laughs>
4: <So>. <laughs> were you having like nightmares about it? You're like I got to figure this yeah, out I'm
0: <laughs> about it a lot. I'm really afraid of spiders and there were a lot of spiders down there. So I, yeah, so I, I think I just write from my own anxiety and also from the thing that helps me grapple with my anxiety, which is everyday people, uh, figuring things out in horrible situations. <laughs>
4: the true crime root root connection right there (laughs) exactly (laughs) I can recognize it in one of my one of my own (laughs) yes
3: (laughs) so Kat again which of your books would you say is your favorite and why is it your favorite this is a hard one like asking for your favorite child which
4: I know especially in a series it's like you have the same people oh yeah that's hard
2: (laughs) So it's actually not in that series though, Um, (laughs) which is, I know, scandalous. (laughs) Um, But my second book that I wrote, I had the most fun writing, like ever. I was, I I would call that my, the height of my career because I was juggling a blog (laughs) that I was writing every, like three blog posts a week writing a novel working full-time and i was loving it and i loved writing this book because it was this like globe trotting vampire uh conspiracy theory political thing and
4: what is the name of this
2: uh it's called equitas because all the all the names in that series have latin names
4: in hindsight
2: might not have been the smartest choice because no one can say it but um
3: (laughs) well i was gonna ask you to spell it yeah
2: (laughs) yeah it's a weird it's weird um it's we'll put it in the show notes a-e-q-u-i-t-a-s um but but yeah i i loved writing that one and um there has been a sense of i i think um like with everything that i've written recently, I tend to be really good at giving myself almost impossible goals. And like with Lost Oblivion, I was like, yeah, this is going to come out on October 12th, because that's when Hallowed Oblivion came out. And I'm like, oh, good. You have three giant shows, four giant shows to do in between your announcement time and then and you have another book releasing with like a million different podcasts and shows to do in between and you're going to try and release this book and i still did but at the detriment of losing sleep losing sanity uh mental health totally cascading into a void um And, and so I have these negative (laughs) memories attached to these projects because of that. So, so like finding real joy (laughs) in, uh, in in my past with working on something that I didn't feel like I, I had restrictions and um, endless ridiculous goals to meet. I do go back to that one (laughs) a lot. Um, And I did just re-release it uh last year you know with new covers and everything too so so it has been updated but it's also the sequel to a book so not that many people buy it because everybody's always like yeah i'm gonna try this series out i'm gonna buy book one and then that's that's that (laughs) uh
4: so you got to make another one of those diagrams and be like, well, I wrote this one first. So. Yeah, that's,
2: Buy that's a weird one different too. Yeah, it's sometimes a a different hobbies. too.
4: They are different <laughs> hobbies. <laughs> Stand by that. I excel in buying books, reading books. I'm a lot slower at, <laughs> I think like. Um, you bring up such an interesting point, which is like when you're self-publishing and like setting your own deadlines, which like often is kind of arbitrary. And then you are sticking to them and you can, yeah, you can really stress yourself out. But so any self-published author that sticks to it, power to you. Good for you. <laughs> what about you, Noel? Which yeah, Noel, favorite? what is your favorite of your books?
0: Well, that is a hard question. It is like the favorite child, but like you kind of do have a secret favorite. So... <laughs> I, not really if my next children, were are asking her, if your kids are listening she was kid kidding um, mom's kidding <laughs> um i would probably say it's ask for andrea it's the one that got me most in my feelings while i was writing it just trying to imagine like what the damn afterlife is like i'm an atheist i don't really ascribe to any like i maybe agnostic is a better word but i was a challenge. I knew I needed to pull in something because there's ghosts in my book, and so I had to spend a lot of time just like thinking about what I would want. And as I was writing it, it like got me, it got me all teary as I was thinking about these like three ghost women that I was writing about. Um, and uh, that's been really fun to have writers, uh, not writers but readers uh, message and have them tell me the same thing while they were reading that, you know, if somebody who recently lost her husband just sent me a message and said that uh, she, that was what she was going to think about was that that's oh. how the afterlife was like, was that someday she'd just be able to go through all of her memories with him again. And so I, yeah, I think it's just something that connected with me pretty hard emotionally. And uh, I just kind of got to love all those three ghosts quite a lot
4: what a like interesting thing that the two of you had in common that we didn't even plan for so yeah <laughs> that's pretty amazing <laughs> um that's kind of a good segue into a question that popped in my head as you we were talking so I'm sorry I didn't send this to you ahead of time but um how what is the best way for your readers to support you whether it's like where to buy where to review when to review when to buy like what, how can you help us help you as self-published authors?
0: That's a great question. I mean, if you're asking that question, you're probably already doing it. I mean, reviews mean the world. Like I I genuinely do, and some authors don't, but I genuinely do read every single one because each one either tells me something that I want to do more of in the future or something that I can learn from or just kind of gives me the warm fuzzy that they spent time with something I made and connected with it um so yeah reviews are huge um and then just yeah I think uh second guessing some of those stereotypes we talked about with self-published versus traditional you know let the reviews speak for themselves and find books that you love and then uh you know bully your friends and family members (laughs) into uh into reading them I guess (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs> do you have um, like a preferred platform that people review on? Like, do you get more ROI from any of them?
0: Amazon and Goodreads are always two of the biggest. That just generally tends to be the place where most of the readers are and where most of the book sales take place. But uh, wherever you like to hang out as a reader, if you buy your books on Kobo or if you are an Audible person, then then that'll that's incredible. Anybody who wants to leave a review or get a book, like anywhere they do that is incredible.
4: Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then, Kat, same question to you. What is the best way for your readers to support you?
0: I mean, it's
2: very much the same. Um, (laughs) If if everybody write
4: reviews, yeah. (laughs) If you
2: liked, if you liked something that I wrote, I'd love to see a review or a rating. You know, whatever you're comfortable with. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be in depth. It can be as simple as I liked it or. I didn't like it um and no matter no matter what you share your review is important and um it just helps people see our stuff in uh the sea of books (laughs) that are out there um and then i i guess the other thing i will add is no matter if like if if you are reading on ebook if you are reading on paperback uh if you are reading the audiobook um i'd love to see personally i'd love to see more reviews uh for the audiobook versions of a couple things just because i know that the narrators did such an incredible job um your
4: narrator is very good i'm enjoying it
2: a lot like she's insanely good and she's currently doing the sequel right now and she couldn't uh she's also an actress so she was part of the whole SAG-AFTRA strike and couldn't do any work during that whole thing so Ooh, that's tough um i didn't even think so about yeah, crossover it's, it's, but... it's been a really rough few months um and a lot of the narrators that that authors get to do their projects are just super passionate about it and they love what they do and um i think audiobooks are one of those things that that don't get as many reviews generally um or as many like podcast opportunities or um online uh blog review options as as other formats do. So yeah. So yeah, that's my one plea, I guess, would be give the audiobook to try.
4: I love audiobooks. I love when self-published and indie horror people are on audio because as my fellow hosts will know, I'm a slow reader. So <laughs> I'm like, yes, play in my ear while I'm doing laundry. Thank you. <laughs> but I love it. That's good. Good to know. I I'll actually, be I that. listened
3: to one book. I, I don't listen to a lot of audio. I, I do most of my reading like the old fashioned way, but I mm-hmm. listened to one. It was, it was a story. I think it was maybe by Jennifer McMahon and it, it, I was helping my husband at his job. Cause he would sometimes drag me in to help with things when he was understaffed. And I was like washing a wall or something like that. <laughs> And I was listening to it not on headphones and it like a sex scene popped up it was like blaring the sex scene <laughs> and then, I've never listened to another audiobook because it just completely <laughs> scarred me because there were other people there and all of a sudden it's like oh god this guy's listening to porn.
4: <laughs> now you're scarred forever.
3: Yeah no more. No I more mean audiobook.
4: headphones headphones would solve the issue. Yep.
3: <laughs> yep or Chelsea you could stop trying to be my boss.
4: <laughs> I'm going to bully you the way you bully your friends.
3: Um, so I do. Well, I do want to ask because you mentioned ask for Andrea and that one's kind of the most, I guess they're all speculative. Speculative is kind of like a eh, term. What does it really mean? Uh, do you have any plans to write anything to that side of speculative again? To the more supernatural, that's a better word.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I actually do. Um, It's, the most challenging book that I've written so far. And I'm really, really excited about it. Um, It's focused on the Mountain Meadows massacre. A lot of people haven't heard about it. um, But it took place on 9-11. And it was one of the deadliest massacres in US history until the 9-11 that we all are more familiar with. Um, It was 120 immigrants from Arkansas, mostly women and children who were Killed by religious zealots um, in southern Utah. Um, So there were 17 kids who survived, and one of them who blocked out the memory of the attack is one of my protagonists. Um, So the book will have multiple POVs, including her mom, who didn't survive the attack. And um, there are some supernatural elements in there as she is trying to grapple with these nightmares and memories of uh, things that she's blocked out. So um, I'm really excited about. Th- this book I think it's gonna hit on some of the things that uh got me right in the feels with Ask for Andrea
4: yeah I've never heard of that massacre
0: embarrassingly but you know
3: I I hadn't but I think you mentioned this to me yep. like a year ago <laughs> maybe that that's what made me look it up and oof, I can't wait for that one yeah <laughs> um sorry I, I I'm like reading through the questions like what is the stuff I really gotta know um cat sorry I'm swooping how expansive do you plan to make the 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 encroaching forest universe
2: uh so touching back on that um currently (laughs) (laughs) there are currently there are god how many uh one two three four five six there's six stories slash books in that series right now um i like i was saying before i am feeling the pressure of writing a third book but i do not have plans to write it right now um i did have another idea for a sequel to dan and andy's scary holiday which is the christmas story in this series but i i don't have that ready at the moment I think really the big thing is that I need to take a break from it (laughs) because I've been going pretty hard on this series for the last two years and um I I will be you know I probably will be writing some more in it later on but I don't have anything concrete planned at the moment
4: okay I love that um some of it Summer, all of it is based in the White Mountain National Forest. I personally spend a lot of time there. Um, and it's super ripe for horror, just like very, it's like a brutal landscape. It's cold. Um, for listeners who aren't familiar, like Mount Washington in the White Mountains is like has some of the most dangerous weather in the entire world. And it's like a little known fact, but um, and weather's not even a huge factor in the stuff that I've read. But I don't know. I just love that it. it's set there. And I don't know if you wanted to take any time to like talk about how that inspired you at all.
2: Yeah, I um, I actually used to go there a lot as a kid. Um, my distant distant relatives have a house up there in Jackson, and so we would go up there occasionally and spend time up there. And then we would also vacation up there at one of the the hotels every year so i have a lot of good memories of the white mountains um i do think that it's just a gorgeous landscape um you know part of the appalachian trail goes through there it's there's a lot of opportunities to play with horror in the white mountains and it's just a beautiful place to hike and mm-hmm. you know go leaf peeping or uh spend a weekend um so i'm lucky that i live nearby and had a chance to spend time there
4: same and I will official probably endorsement write more.
2: <laughs> yeah i'll probably write more uh in the white mountains
4: yeah i would love to someday as well we'll see we'll see if i get there
3: <laughs> Alrighty. so one of the things as we wind down here we love to ask people that come on is to recommend other authors and since we're focusing on self-published work I would be uh, I don't even know the words so I'm gonna skip this um sorry, I lost it but uh, I do I want to it's know only fitting favorite... that we
4: ask who yeah. your favorite blah, blah, blah. self-published
3: <laughs> <laughs> who are your favorite ones who do you go to for self-published
0: work yeah, I have three that I, they're auto buy authors for me. I love pretty much anything that they write. Um, and they're all self published. So Kirsten Modglin would be one of the first she's the queen of very twisty, fast play, fast paced thrillers. And she's extremely prolific. So her latest book Do Not Open was incredible. It's like, I don't know if you watched uh, The Patient with Steve Carell, the Hulu. um, I haven't, but
4: I've heard it's very good.
0: Incredible. So it's like that combined with Misery, Stephen King. So uh, an obsessed fan, um, decides to get real close to an author. And anyway, Kirsten is incredible. So Kirsten Modglin, highly recommend. And then Faith Gardner, she writes um, Near Future, uh, thriller, horror, straddles that line. but she's just absolutely talented. Her writing is so lyrical and her plot lines are so inventive. Um, she, her her book, Amen Maxine, um, is one of my favorites. It's about a, it's a, like a human companion bot that makes predictions about, you know, the weather and about when the best time to go shopping will be almost like a Siri, but then she starts making very personal recommendations to the, uh, to the protagonist that start coming true. So she's um, it's an incredible, know, it sounds really fun, <laughs> <It's> very fun. <laughs> and then uh, Steph Nelson, she writes um, horror. She writes a lot of survival horror. Her book Sawtooth um, takes place in the Idaho wilderness um, was absolutely incredible. It comes out this month and then her debut, The Vein, takes place in an abandoned silver mine in the Idaho mountains. So she's a fellow Idaho girl and uh, her writing is just beautiful and horrific. Um, and so she's she's traditional, but she's also self-published as well. So Steph Nelson is um, is another recommendation
4: i got to meet her at stoker crown we had a breakfast together and she was so, <laughs> so lovely so hi steph
3: sawtooth cool. is actually in my tbr somewhere. oh
0: amazing uh you'll love it i think i think chelsea
3: would love it too if she ever i read. know oh
4: my god <laughs> i'm
0: on this like very
4: um accidental um survival or outdoorsy because cats is not quite survival horror but it is outdoors in the woods I'm on this, like, very weird kick by accident, where, like, most of the time It's also what heroes... you write,
3: so, oh, take a hint. It's not Finish all what
4: I, write. <laughs> I... <laughs> My unwritten novella is going to be survival. Ay, yay, yay. Don't hold me accountable on this podcast, Brett.
3: I said, I'm sorry. I, I have to apologize about you. I said, I'm going to bring it up every episode.
4: <laughs> so, I've gotten at least a thousand words out since we last spoke.
3: <laughs> a month and a half, two months ago. Yeah.
4: Don't, we don't need to worry about it. <laughs> it'll come. It'll come. Kat, but that, how, that made how me, you?
3: Yeah. I'm definitely going to check out Steph. I, I had my eyes on it, um, but that, that mine one looks, that sounds really good to me. So.
4: Fantastic. I've seen very good things about it. All right, Kat, how about you? What are your favorite self-pubbed your recommendations? Um, so
2: I I have a few um I think they're all women actually. Um good. We love have, that. <laughs> uh so Antonia Rachel Ward, who is also the owner of Ghost Orchid Press, put out a novel this past year called dreamscape so it's her first self-published self-published novel um and it's it's a very like cyberpunky horror novel very cool very unique mm. um definitely worth a look awesome. um i also think she's she's definitely a hybrid author because now most of her stuff is being published through some bigger venues but she did start as a self-pub author and that's Gemma Moore. um so her stuff is amazing definitely another <laughs> another person to to read um and another then, very
4: generous um yeah horror extremely horror, yeah member as well
2: yeah um and then i i actually had some trouble coming up with a third one um <laughs> be uh but uh, there are there is another main horror author who does do self-publish who lives very close to me um and she also writes woodsy horror and that is samantha eaton and she's had a couple books come out this year also uh the insatiable hunger of trees and roots of either roots in your bones or roots of your bones um but she's also worth a look
4: awesome fantastic So i don't know yeah add them to my list (laughs) i'll definitely buy them i'll read them in the next 10 years maybe
3: i I, I, mean, I, yeah, so I have a bad habit of buying the stuff that we're talking about on amazon as we talk so uh you guys have to talk to my husband about that one because i didn't cause it. <laughs> you did
4: <laughs> it's all your fault so no uh, thank you for the recommendations love that always
3: so one other thing is sometimes we do this in the beginning sometimes we do it in the end the whimsy of podcasting <laughs> but where can we find you? Uh, Kat, do you want to start?
2: Sure. Um, You can find me pretty much everywhere. I am omnipresent. Uh, You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Threads, Blue Sky, TikTok, very occasionally. And of course, I'm still lingering on X until utter devastation happens. <laughs> uh and I do have a substack as well. And my main home base is at catherynsilvaauthor.com. Awesome.
4: Wonderful. Keep in touch with all of your series there. And then Noelle, how about you?
0: I am not omnipresent. I <laughs> am pretty much on uh Instagram at Noel Eiley author, or you can find me on Facebook at, uh, on the Noel Eiley author page. Um, and that's pretty much where I'm at, or you can, I have a website dynamitebookspublishing.com but that's not updated as regularly as it should be. So, uh, Instagram or Facebook.
3: We would know nothing about not updating your website, right?
4: (laughs) No, totally. I update my website all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that's the bane of my existence. And then the bill hits and I'm like, God damn, I'm paying for this website. I don't even. That actually
3: just happened today. Jason was doing something and he's like, "What's create space or what is it? Is that what it's called? Squarespace. Squarespace.
0: You're doing that with your (laughs) mom.
3: Squarespace. And I was like, oh, that's my website. He's like. Is it, are people actually visiting it? Like, hey, come on, mind your business. Oh my I God. Blast I me at out least get like, everybody like I this. get like a
4: couple emails that come <laughs> through the form, so it makes it feel worth it. <laughs>
3: I've gotten some spam, yeah.
4: Nice. Um,
3: <laughs> all righty. So this has been the Cutthroat Queens, and you are welcome. I miss, oh, is this Elton, why isn't he here to do this anymore?
0: Wake it up in a bath
1: of ice. I'm a victim of an organ you know it is true you know this time you're never gonna get it but you already stole my